0: I remember years ago when uh, our church family was getting ready to celebrate our very first Easter, uh, which felt like a really big deal. At that point, our church was just a couple of months old and we weren't even sure we were gonna make it to Easter. It's kinda like those of you that are new parents maybe, and, or maybe you've been parents and you remember that moment where you would have a kid and that first year Like, you hardly showered, you didn't hardly do anything productive outside of the house except for keep that kid alive, and so you get that first birthday, and you're like, whoa, we made it, and I remember that first Easter, I'm like, oh my goodness, our church is still here, we get to have Easter celebration, so I remember inviting just anybody that would listen, you know, the barista at the coffee shop, the person that was pumping gas next to me at the gas station, the the stranger, the friend, the family member, just anybody that was interested in coming To be a part of what was happening, I wanted to invite them. And so I remember inviting this one friend of mine who, at the time, he was not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's some of your stories in the room. You're here with a friend. Uh, You're not sure what you think about Jesus. Maybe you're intrigued. But I remember he did not spend much time in church. Uh, He had very little understanding of the Easter story. And so I invited him. I said, Hey, I want you to come be a part of Easter Sunday with us. And he's like, Man, that's awesome. I'm excited. I'll come with you. And then he said, But I have some questions. He said, he said, what is it that you're celebrating, and why is it such a big deal? Because I know this is kind of like Christianity Super Bowl, which I thought was an awesome description. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big day. And, uh, and so he said, explain it to me. And So I'm pumped, I'm like, here's the moment. You know, I'm gonna explain like, all the finer details of the cross, and the resurrection, and what it means for us. And, and I probably talked for two or three minutes, which felt like two or three minutes too long. He wasn't engaged, he wasn't intrigued. And, and I get to the end of it, and I'll never forget his response to me. He said, okay, I get, Jesus is God. He died so I could be forgiven. He raised from the dead. He said, that's, that's awesome. Uh, he said, but how does that change Monday? <laughs> and I was like, man, what a great question. And he didn't phrase it exactly this way, but what I heard him asking was, Dave, is Easter, is it a holiday or is it a way of life? Is it something that you celebrate or is it something that is like compelling you into a brand new way of living and learning and loving and caring for the people that are like right around you right now? And it's one of those moments where I knew the right answer. Like, you know, you're here in church on Easter Sunday. You probably know, okay, it's it's a way of life. That's the box I'm going to check. But it's one thing for you to know the answer and it's a totally different thing for you to actually live the answer. And I I gave my friend the right answer 13 years ago, but I remember walking away from that conversation going, but man, is that actually true of me? And I think the more that I I wrestled with that, I went, man, for the majority of my life, Easter for me has been a holiday, not a way of life. But 2,000 years ago, something shifted, something happened, something changed, and this thing that shifted, this thing that happened happened not so you could put on your favorite dress and eat dinner with your favorite people and show up. All those things are good and fine, I'm not knocking on any of those things, but I go, something happened that was designed to break open the way in which you and I live right here and right now. And I'm convinced, especially after the year that the whole globe has shared in together, you know, the last 14 months or whatever it's been. I'm convinced now more than ever, the world doesn't need followers of Jesus just showing up in a building celebrating a holiday. That the world needs followers of Jesus who have been fundamentally, radically, like undeniably shaped by the reality of this thing that we sing about and talk about and preach about and read about, that like something happens within us that moves us to live lives that are fundamentally different. And I love this because Peter, this guy that we just read, this short little excerpt from this letter that he wrote to a church, you know, Peter, if you know anything about his story, he is one of Jesus' closest friends. He's one of the early adopters of the Christian faith, one of the first guys that looked at Jesus and said, man, you're more than a great teacher. You're more than a great philosopher. You're more than a nice guy that walked around doing nice things for people in need. Like Peter looked at Jesus and went, man, you are the son of God. Like you are the creator amongst us, the creation walking in human flesh like Peter saw it. He was, he was on board before most people knew how to be on board. He's one of the first ones on that very first Easter Sunday to run to the tomb expecting to find a dead body. Instead, he finds an empty cave. He doesn't know what to do with it. His mind hasn't caught up with what his eyes are seeing yet. He's there. And 30 years later, he writes this letter that we just read from a few moments ago. He writes this letter to a group of Christians that were gathering in small communities all across the known world at the time. Uh, Eventually, they started calling themselves churches, but Peter is writing to this community of faith that's going through a really tough time. They're going through hardship. They're going through persecution. They're struggling to raise their kids. They're trying to figure out how to live for God in the midst of work, all the stuff that you and I wrestle with day in and day out, except the pressure on them was even more intense. And Peter writes in this letter, and I want you to notice what he says in the letter. He says, hey, if you want to get through the moment that you're in, you don't need me to give you a bunch of self-help, like here's some things to try. He says, you need a clear vision of what happened on that Sunday morning when nobody was expecting anything to happen. I love how, how Peter talks about the resurrection of this church that's suffering and there's all of these things that I believe the resurrection of Jesus begins to unlock in you and I right now. Not when we just think about it or celebrate it as a holiday, but when it comes all the way down into your life. But there's just three things that he mentions in this one verse. Look back at verse three with me. I know we haven't been in here in a while, and so we're not gonna, we're not gonna go at this for 40 minutes. I just wanna give you something simple this morning. If you're the type of person that memorizes scripture, man, this is a verse to memorize this week. But listen to what he says, verse three. He says, Praise God. <laughs> It says, Praise God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I'll say it one more time. It says, Praise God. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. Of Jesus I don't know if you take notes there's just a couple of things that I want you to notice that Peter he, he's speaking to this struggling community they're 30 years past the moment of the cross they're 30 years past the moment of the resurrection they're 30 years past the moment when Jesus had returned to heaven to be seated in glory and they're wrestling with okay we know there was a victory on Easter Sunday but we're still burying our relatives when they die We know there was a victory on Easter Sunday, but we're still going through hardship. We're still wrestling with all of these challenges. How does this begin to inform the way that we live? And I love what Peter begins to remind them of. If you take notes, the first thing I want you to notice is Peter says, when the resurrection comes down into your life and your heart, it redirects your worship. It redirects your worship. Look back at verse three, he says, in light of the resurrection, he says, praise God. Worship God, like sing to God, shout to God, like uh, uh, affirm your love for God, give your affection to God. See, see, Peter knew that as human beings, we are worshipers. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're a worshiper. I don't know if you know that. You were made for worship. Worship's not just something we do when we sing songs. It's not just something we do for an hour on Sunday mornings. It's not just something you do in the car or with the podcast. Like, like worship is just this thing that you do when you, when you share your love, your affection, your adoration, your joy towards something or someone. Like, worship's what happens when your favorite team wins the game. It's what happened all across the country last night when that guy from Gonzaga hit the last minute shot at the end of overtime. Like, that's why you guys were at the 11 o'clock, because you were up late watching the game probably. And he hits that shot. And do you know what happened in homes all across, all across the nation last night? Worship. Whether the people knew it or not, they just shouted joy, like, oh my goodness, it's the greatest game I've ever seen in my life. Like, this. Whoa, like, that, that's an impulse of worship. That feeling you had to get on Twitter as soon as the game was done last night. Oh, man, that's amazing. That's an impulse of worship. It was so awesome, you didn't want to keep it to yourself. It's what happens when you eat at a new restaurant that you've never been at before, and on the way home, you call your friend, and you're like, man, that's amazing. Or when you find that band on Spotify that you're convinced nobody else has found. They have found them, but you think you're the first. <laughs> you tell everybody, oh, you gotta, oh, It's that impulse for worship. We we worship our children. We worship our careers. We we worship our physical health. We worship the opposite sex. We we worship our comfort. We worship our finances. As human beings, we're worshipers. Even if you've grown up in church your whole life, you're a worshiper. The question is, are you a worshiper of King Jesus? Like from the depth of who you are, your, your praise, your affection, your time, your talent, your treasure, your energy, your thoughts, where do they go? To whom do they go? See, Peter knows there's this tendency in every one of us, we worship, and if you're anything like me, I've spent so much of my life worshiping the wrong things. And man, when you worship the wrong things, the reality is they let you down. Like you worship that career, and then you lose your job, and you feel like nothing. You worship that mentor in your life, and then they have a moral failing, and everything in you goes away with it what happens on Saturday afternoons at literally Ballparks when parents, like because they feel insufficient in themselves, they worship their children, their performance. And they, I go, how's that go? How's that go? See, the reality is when we worship anything or anyone other than Jesus, either they disappoint us or we crush them, there's no other way out. I remember years ago, right after Sydney and I got married, and uh, things were going pretty good, at least from my perspective, and I remember one night we're on a date, and uh, she said, hey, I had this revelation this morning. I said, what is it? she said you're a great husband but you are a lousy savior and I thought I didn't know I was trying to be a savior <laughs> I didn't know he had this issue but she goes on and she 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 kind of spelled it out for me she said Dave anytime I need you to fulfill something in me that only Christ can fulfill one of two things happens either I crush you with my expectations or you disappoint me when you fail me And I thought man we do that all the time in life I, I love what Peter says Peter looks at this church that's struggling and it's going through all this stuff and he says, he says man, when, when the resurrection of Jesus becomes more than a holiday, when it becomes a way of life, when it moves from your mind into your heart, when it begins to, to grow good fruit in the context of who you are, it redirects your worship. You become people who from the depth of your being, you, you give your adoration, your time, your energy, your treasure, your life, your love to King Jesus. I remember years ago being a, at a game this amazing moment happened where the team that I wanted to win scored, and everybody's cheering. I'm hugging some stranger, never met him before. We're, we're excited. And I remember as soon as it's over, just the Holy Spirit went, Dave, man, how is it that you can worship easier in this setting than you can amongst the people of God? And when something happens when we encounter the risen Jesus, like our, our worship is redirected. But Peter doesn't stop there, he keeps going. Look back at verse three. He says, Praise be to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's the next part of the phrase. He says, whom in his great mercy, in his great mercy has given us new birth. If you take notes, kind of the second thing, he says it doesn't just redirect your worship. It realigns your sense of belonging. It it realigns the way that you view yourself in the context of community with God and with one another. See, uh, if you remember Peter's story before the resurrection, before the cross, Peter was zealous, he was bold, he was excited. Some may even go so far as to say he was a bit arrogant. I'm not going to put that on him, but you know, he, he was eager. Maybe you remember the night before Jesus was crucified, Peter is having this meal with his buddies and with Jesus. And Jesus stands up amongst them and he says, Hey, tonight's not going to go the way that you want it to go, things aren't going to go well. They're going to crucify me. You guys are all going to flee. You're going to betray me. And Peter stands up in this moment, and he cuts Jesus off, which is a really kind of bold move. You know, I wouldn't recommend it, but he stands up at the dinner party with Jesus. He pulls out the wine glass. This is my interpretation of it. Gets the fork, and he's like, ding, 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 (laughs) ding. And everybody's looking like, is he really interrupting Jesus? Oh, it's Peter. It's what he does. (laughs) And I love what Peter says. I relate to it so much. He says, Jesus, even if every one of these jokers denies you, I'm not going to do it. And do you remember Jesus' response? He says, Peter, before the rooster crows twice tomorrow, you're gonna deny me three times. And sure enough, over the next 24 hours, Peter was gonna see the horror of his sin. He was gonna see the agony of Jesus' death. He was gonna wrestle with the reality of his weakness and his failure. And three days later, when Jesus would rise from the dead, he would find Peter back on the shore where Peter was fishing amongst his buddies. Jesus would show up to him in his failure and say, hey, I still have a place for you on the team. And from that point forward, Peter's going to be a different guy. No longer did he think he belonged in the space that he was in because of his performance, because of his goodness, because of his boldness, because of his faith. The cross and the empty tomb had solidified Peter's understanding that the reason he had a seat at the banquet table of King Jesus was not because he was good, but because God was merciful. See, Peter, he knew what you and I know, and that is at some point along the way, you and I were all discipled by the world to think that your value is somehow connected to your performance. Man, if I'm good at my job, I have meaning. If I'm good at my family, if, if, if they succeed, I have meaning. If I serve well, or give well, or love well, or worship well, I have, I have meaning. And there's this, this tendency to connect our sense of belonging with our sense of performance. And I love what happens in the cross, in the empty tomb. All of a sudden, that's turned on its head. And Peter understands that his place of belonging wasn't rooted in his strength, his goodness, his righteousness, but in God's. In God's mercy, God's kindness. Guys, the reason you and I gather at the, at the, at the end of such a weird, crazy year with so much hope so much possibility, with so much purpose, the, the reason you can be forgiven of your sins, the reason you can be filled with the Spirit of God, the reason you have a place at the forever banquet table of King Jesus, the reason you don't have to worry about seeing God face to face one day is not because you're so nice or so sweet or because you grew up in Alabama or because you sing the right worship songs or serve or do any of those things. It's because God is merciful. I'm just telling you, there's gonna be one day when every one of us will stand in the presence of God, and none of us will walk in with swagger based upon our own performance. We come in, we go, man, this is all the mercy of God. Like, this is the mercy and the kindness of Jesus. I remember years ago, I got my first job. I was 21 years old. It was like my first real job, and I was so pumped about it. Got hired at this university that I love, and I had no business getting this job. In every way, I was underqualified, and not the right fit for the job but I get this job by the grace of God and I knew that when I got the job that I I didn't deserve to be there but after about three or four months things were going pretty well and I started doing what so many of us do when things go well you start to kind of walk with a little bit of pride you know your shoulders are back your head is up you're like man I'm amazing you know I didn't say that but I thought it and I remember this one day in particular I had to send out an email to the whole student body and to all the faculty and staff several thousand people and I don't know if you've ever been in one of those places where you have to send out a communication piece to a large group of people and the moment you send it, it's like, oh, there's nine typos and all that stuff. So I was sweating. I'm like, what am I gonna send out? And so uh, I, I checked it and double-checked it and triple-checked it and I sent it out to the whole student body, and faculty and staff. And the moment I did it, I realized I attached the wrong document. And the document that was attached uh, wasn't just any document. It was a document that had all of the personal information of every student, faculty and staff, their name, their address, their social security numbers. It was... Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this about humanity or not, but they don't love when you share their private information with a lot of strangers on the internet. And I shared it, and it was like, oh, and immediately my phone began to ring. And my boss calls me, he's like, hey, I need you to come over to the administration office, which is never good, especially seconds after you've shared everybody's personal information. I remember I'm walking over, and I'm like, this is it, I'm gonna get fired. And I walk into the office, and I don't get what I deserved. And I certainly didn't get what I expected. What I got was mercy. And it's crazy, for the rest of my time there, it fundamentally shaped the way I did my job differently. Like, it's not that I walked around in shame with my tail between the legs going, oh, I can't believe I'm here. It was just this understanding that I'm here, not because I'm great and awesome. I'm here because my boss is so much more merciful than my mistakes. Guys, when Easter is just a holiday, it becomes really easy For your view of God to get really low and your view of self to get really high. And at the end of the day, for you to just go, man, God's pretty lucky to have me on the team. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, when the reality of resurrection, when the reality of the cross, when the reality of the empty tomb comes all the way down, like there's this sense of, oh God, you are merciful. And something in us begins to shift. I love this. Peter says, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He redirects our worship, who in his great mercy has given us new birth. He realigns our understanding of position, of community, of belonging. Third thing that I want you to notice, he keeps going. He says he's given us this new birth into a living hope, into a living hope. I don't know what you hear when you hear that word living hope, but if, if you're anything like me, you know, in our culture, when we use the word hope, we use it to refer to like wishful thinking, it's like, oh, I've got a job interview today. Hey, hope that goes great. Hey, um, my roommate's driving me crazy. We're trying to get her to move out. Hey, hope that goes great. Hey, uh, I met somebody on the internet, uh, and uh, I'm gonna propose tonight. We've never hung out. Oh, hope that goes great. Like, <laughs> Hey, uh, my mom, we're waiting on test results, and we're nervous. Man, I hope that goes great. See, when we use this word hope, in our day, like we use it as wishful thinking. It's a, a wish that is built on a mountain of uncertainty. That's the way we understand the word hope. But in the New Testament, this word that is used for hope is not built on a layer of uncertainty. The way New, New Testament Christians would use it is it wasn't wishful thinking, but it was joyful confidence in the thing you know God is going to do. It's, it's joyful certainty. And the thing that you know is coming. So Peter looks at this group of Jesus followers and he says, hey, the resurrection, it redirects your worship. It, it realigns your sense of belonging. Number three, he says, it is gonna reframe the way you face hardship because you have been birthed into this place of living hope. That there's this confidence in you and I now because of the resurrection of Jesus that the hardest stuff you go through, the death, the pain, the sorrow, the struggle, that that stuff is not the end of the story, that it's not where it winds up. See, Peter was looking out at a church just like us that had buried loved ones that year. They were wrestling with losing jobs and losing faith and losing marriages and they're struggling in the midst of all of it. And, And Peter knew that the reality of the resurrection didn't get you past hardship. It didn't get you around hardship. It didn't mean you got to escape hardship, but it means that you get through it with someone and that someone is the risen King Jesus who himself is with you. And the resurrection reframes. It doesn't always take the, the heartache out of it, but the resurrection reframes the moment that you find yourself in. I think about last week, you know, one of our dear friends, uh, Sydney and I, a family we're really close to, their, their son died unexpectedly. Just like the greatest nightmare that I can think of as a dad. And I'm watching this family just navigate what happens when the greatest heartache of life just throws itself into your into your heart. You just never see it coming. We show up at their house last Wednesday night, uh, unannounced, with a couple hundred of their friends. We just surrounded their whole property with, everybody had a candle, and we're surrounded their home, and we're just praying, and we're worshiping, and we're singing, and there's crying, and there's all of this stuff that's going on. And I don't even know how to explain it, but I'm sitting in that moment with Sid and with our boys, and we're holding the candles, and, And I'm going, Lord, this is one of the saddest places I've been in, and yet there is this thread of resurrection hope going through this because we know that God's not done with the story. And I don't even know how to articulate it, but it's what Peter's trying to say. He, He like looks at this church in the midst of all of the aching reality of what it means to be a human in the midst of a world that's still broken. And Peter says, hey, when this is no longer just a holiday but a way of life, You become the type of person that stands to your feet in awe of God. You worship from the depth of who you are. You become the type of person that falls on your knees in humility as you realize that you belong because of his mercy. And you become the kind of person that as you walk through the hard things of life and as you see the hard things of life around you, you don't ignore it, you don't trivialize it, you don't over-spiritualize it, you're not crushed by it, but you walk through it with King Jesus himself. Knowing that because the tomb is empty, the story's not finished. I remember years ago, one of my good friends, we were in our early 30s at this time, his older sister, who was just a year or two older than us, several kids and a husband, she got sick and died very unexpectedly, caught everybody off guard. And my friend and his mom and his dad were walking out of the hospital that day after his sister died. They had no, they had no thought that she would not be leaving the hospital with them. And they're walking out of the hospital just overwhelmed with grief, and my friend's mom stops, my buddy and his dad stops him right there in the hallway. She's just weeping and she grabbed her husband. And she said, I need you to remind me of what it is that we believe. And he just sat there in silence. He just cried for a few minutes and then he looked at her and he said, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. That's what we believe. And the tomb being empty doesn't immediately relieve all the pain, but man, it reframes it. Because you know that God is still writing a story. And look back on what's gone on the last year, what's still happening. (laughs) I'm convinced that the world doesn't just need a a bunch of Christians showing up to celebrate a holiday today. (laughs) I'm convinced that the world doesn't just need a bunch of people that are pumped that we get to be back together, although it's wonderful. Like I've said that like nine times, it's wonderful to be back together. What the world needs is a group of people that have moved beyond just celebrating Easter to actually living the reality of Easter. People who from the depth of our being, we worship in spirit and truth, walk in the humility and the grace of knowing it's only mercy. And we walk into all of the hard stuff knowing that God is still writing the story. So here's what what I want us to do today. I wanna invite you to get out your communion elements. Hopefully you had the chance to grab those on the way in. If you didn't, we have some in the lobby. Um, It's not embarrassing at all. If you forgot it and you need to hop up and get communion, feel free to do that. We love you. We're family here. But I wanna invite you to get the bread out. And go ahead and open the cup. Like, you can pop that open. And we're gonna receive this together this morning. And I'm just going to invite you to just repeat a few phrases after me. And then we'll take the bread and then we'll repeat a few phrases and we'll take the cup. So as you hold the bread out, I just invite you to repeat this after me Jesus, we believe you are the Son of God. Jesus, we believe you are the Son of God. Jesus, we believe you lived a sinless life. Jesus, we believe you died a sinner's death. And Jesus, we believe that on the third day, you rose in victory. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Let's receive the bread together. I invite you to hold the cup out in front of you. Repeat these words after me. Jesus, this is your blood that was spilled for the sins of the world. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for, us. Thank you for, forgiving, us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for welcoming us home. Let's receive the cup together. I love this verse. Toward the end of 1 Peter chapter one, listen to this. It says, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And maybe this morning you're sitting here going, I don't know that I love him as much as I want to, or I don't know that I love him at all. Or even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And maybe you're going, man, I don't know that I believe the way that I want to believe. It says you're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes with the people that you came with this morning. I want to encourage you to to get together. You can stay seated. You can circle your seats up. But we're going to take a few minutes to just pray for one another that God would take the reality of the resurrection and drive it all the way deep down into our hearts. So let's take a few minutes right now with the people that are next to you. You can just pray, God, would you help us to love you more? Would you help us to believe in you more? Would you help us to live this out? And so out loud with the people that you're with, we're gonna take five or six minutes just to pray, and then I'll wrap us up as we go into our last moment of worship together. You can continue to pray as long as you want, but for those of you that are ready, I'd invite you to stand with me you know, we're going we're gonna to worship. We're going to sing another song or two together. Just invite you to repeat this phrase after me again. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Oh, come on, let's try that again. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He, is risen he is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We're going to worship together. If you want to receive prayer, there will be some men and women back at the back in the lobby at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray with you, but let's, let's worship together. Love you guys.